this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Hi, and thank you for joining me, Mike Dilt, with the Relax Back UK show. This week, the show is made possible by the kind sponsorship of Alga Cells. Alga Cells uses the body's own stem cells ability to regenerate tissue to treat joint and spine injuries and pain. Check out their website, algacells.com. I hope to be doing a few shows on various aspects of cancer, and there was a recent one where I spoke to cancer research scientists. Today's show looks at a wonder drug for cancer. However, it is one that has been around for a while. It's now internationally recognised by roundtables of experts all over the world. That exercise should be the first drug we give cancer patients. From the day of diagnosis, all the way through treatment, all the way through metastatic cancer, it improves. It's proven to reduce the risk of recurrence by half. This is Liz O'Riordan. She's a breast surgeon who got breast cancer herself. And I was lucky enough to talk to her and Professor Greg White, a modern pentathlon Olympian and also a sports scientist. These are two fantastic guests who really advocate for exercise. Well, for many things, but certainly as part of cancer treatment and also cancer avoidance in the first place. So please do stay and listen to them. that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at Alga-Cells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. Alga-Cells. Part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide, where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. Alga cells. Life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Liz O'Ridden is a breast surgeon who got breast cancer herself. And Professor Greg White is an Olympian and now an academic. And they both join me to talk about exercise and cancer. Now, they've both been on the show before. So the first thing I did was thank them for coming back. Great to be here. Thanks for having us back on. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I, I've always enjoyed talking to you guys. Um, and since, since you're, you're the sort, both the sort of people that kind of exhaust me just looking at what you get up to. <laughs> <laughs> You've both done many things, but let me just pick on a, a couple of things that involve swimming. So, uh, and I'll, I'll pick on Liz first. I've got, and I know you started cold water 
swimming. Um, That's and, right. Yeah, what, what brought that on? So kind of, it was, it's finding a way to meet people. And I live in the middle of Suffolk and I thought I'd have to drive hours to get to the sea to swim. But I found a group on Facebook called the Blue Tips who swim all over the world. And I found there were a load of little rivers and lakes I can go swimming in. And there's something amazing about being in cold water. And I've heard people talk about it and I didn't get it. I always get really ill if I don't have a wetsuit on. But just being in that water and that high, and it's really good for my, my scarring and my pain as well, just being in that cold water. So I'm now hooked. Okay. I'm going to try and keep going for as long as I can through the winter. Excellent. All right. Well, that, that might be a uh, potential for another another show there, because I've heard lots of people talking about that. And Greg, you've done a, a well, you swam the length of the Thames. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, you know, it, it, it was an interesting one, really, because it, it, it was sort of born of, of the fact of two issues, which, you know, we probably don't want to go into. But one is around drowning prevention, which is you know, yeah. very dear to my heart and the role of Royal Life Saving Society. Uh, and the fact that actually one person drowns every 20 hours here in the UK. It's awful, isn't uh, it? It is. I mean, just despite... That's you know, a we've terrible got, statistic. Yeah. I mean, we're, yeah. we're, we're an island nation. We've got 5,000 miles of of, uh, of coastline, 4,000 miles of inland waterways. Uh, and really, the, the sort of... The, the, the push uh, to do the challenge and actually raise awareness was actually born of the fact that Although it is a, a requirement and uh, a national curriculum requirement that year, uh, year six children, so 11 year olds, should leave school able to swim, uh, like this year over 2 million children left school unable to swim. Now, when oh, you my goodness. Add, you add on top of that the, the imminent, well, over 400 swimming pools have already closed in the UK, the imminent closure yeah. of predicted to be 3,000 swimming pools by 2030. Uh, and, and really what, what we are, we're standing on the precipice of, of, of an absolute disaster when it comes to, to drowning. Um, yeah. And so really the, the challenge, I mean, I swam the length of the Thames, 125 miles, a little bit extreme, but um, <laughs> was to actually raise awareness for that and actually raise money for the Royal Life Saving Society and the RNLI. Right. Um, in, 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 uh, yeah, two things, really. One is about learning to swim, but actually water safety education is so yeah. important just so people understand, you know, and, and Liz talking about going into cold water, you know, understanding the, the mechanisms of cold water exposure and what's going to yeah. happen and how you respond, absolutely crucial to, so I, to survival and yeah. enjoyment. I don't swim alone. I have a tow float. I make sure people know where I am. I'm really sensible. I acclimatise. But people are just going and jumping in really cold water without a clue. And it, it is dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Goodness. All right. No. Let's, let's part that. Potentially, again, a topic... <laughs> For another time, maybe. What what I'm hoping to pick your brains about generally is is the topic of cancer and exercise. Both um, exercise once diagnosis has been made, and and you know you're you're a patient, but also in in the realms of prevention and sort of do fitter people fitter people get less cancer. Now uh, a while ago, Greg sent me uh, a paper, and I, it was written a while ago, 2017. Uh, I, I must admit, reading scientific papers, I don't find that easy. But it came out with some pretty big statements, which I'm, I, I try not to sort of cherry pick and just quote them out of context. But the sort of things it was said uh, in, in colo, colorectal cancer, a 50 percent increase in physical activity after diagnosis decreases the risk of the cancer death and indeed all death. And there was another one that I, I picked out as well. If women with breast cancer, if they exercise for 30 minutes for um, five times or more a week, they have a low 
lower risk of death. So that, 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 that's from a paper that's a few sort of years old now. But are those kind of statements now taken as a really established truths of a few years on? Yes. So you're both nodding your heads. How, yeah, right, they right, are. What, what have you got to say about that? Do you want to go first, Liz? Yes. <laughs> okay, so, okay, so it's now internationally recognised by roundtables of experts all over the world. That exercise should be the first drug we give cancer patients. From the day of diagnosis, all the way through treatment, all the way through metastatic cancer, it improves. It's proven to reduce the risk of recurrence by half for the big cancers. And that's only because we have enough people with big cancers to do a trial on. There aren't enough people with anal cancers to do this, but it should work for everybody. It halves the risk of recurrence and it's free. It improves the mental and physical side effects of chemotherapy, surgery, radiotherapy, plus it protects your bone health. It is the wonder drug, but it's hard work and it's not a magic bullet and it's not as easy as taking a tablet, but the evidence is there. Okay. I, I must admit, I wasn't expecting su such a... Uh, an answer of <laughs> yes, it absolutely does. Because I, okay, so I'm not really in, in this world, but you know, this this idea has sort of it, it gone over my head. You know, I, I didn't realise that. You know, one of the if if you're diagnosed with cancer, one of the first things that your doctor might say to you, certainly in the UK, is do some exercise, go for a walk. But is, is that yeah. is that the reality? It's not <laughs> happening at the moment, no. and I think. So as a doctor, you get so little time to go on courses for study leave. And as a breast surgeon, I was only learning how to treat breast cancer. I didn't know all about this evidence for exercise. And most health professionals won't know. And it's how we filter it through from the exercise oncologists to reach patients and their team. I never tell people to exercise. I didn't know it was a thing. I just did it because I liked it. Right. Okay. And a lot of doctors, yeah. and as an aside... I had one lecture at medical school about exercise. I wouldn't know how to teach a healthy person to exercise, let alone someone with cancer and COPD and a stoma. So most doctors say, just go for a gentle walk. You know, don't hurt yourself. Because if you haven't had chemo, you, you don't understand what someone is capable of. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, so maybe, maybe the next question should be, you know, fitness and exercise in this context. And so what does it actually mean? Is it, you know, strength? how fat you are, lung capacity, what is fitness? Or what should, what should patients be striving for then? Well, do you know, all the above, Mike, is, is the answer to that. Um, I, I, I mean, you know, fitness is made up of a whole host of different components. But to some extent, the easier way of looking at it is activities of daily living. So yeah. you know, for, for, for anybody listening to this, just think to yourself, the physical activity you do through a day. So from climbing a set of stairs what what do you require to climb up a set of stairs we need strength strength endurance and aerobic capacity and that aerobic capacity requires uh, requires the heart the blood and the lungs integrated to enable you to 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 achieve that if you think about going shopping uh, you've got to carry heavy bags or if you've got grandchildren or children you have to pick those children and grandchildren up that requires strength to do it, if you anything like my kids, you have to do it multiple times. Strength endurance is important to that. Um, you know, washing the car, doing the gardening. Just think about activities of daily living, what's required for that. And I think what's interesting is that the data shows really nicely that outside of everything else, if you exercise pre, during and post-cancer, what, what returns and what improves is functional, what we call functional capacity. So actually th yeah. that ability to operate around activities of daily living 
they, they simply bec- they, they become easier and so therefore more enjoyable and therefore you do more of them and so right. therefore you're more active from it so it, it, it's a self-fulfilling hypothesis yeah okay so just keep keep doing your normal stuff um you know, don't don't sit down and let the medicine work which some yeah. people you know that that might be what people uh, feel they ought to do and it, it, it can be it can be really hard during treatment you feel sorry for yourself you've got chemo you think you should sit on the sofa but actually getting up and going for a walk every day you can kind of tick that off and then you can spend the time feeling miserable but it, it's and it's a form of mindfulness and getting out of your head and forgetting what's going on and you don't and it's the, I think the strength training is almost more important than the aerobic after cancer you get a lot of muscle loss if you're not eating well and doing squats when you're waiting for the kettle to boil you know, doing calf raises while you're brushing your teeth. These are little things that you can fit like exercise snacks throughout the day. So it just becomes part of normal life rather than I have to go enjoy the gym. Yeah. Right, okay. No problem. I think just, just, just on that, Mike, I mean, it's an, it is an interesting one because I think that the, the sort of pervasive dogma is that actually, you know, when, when you're undergoing treatment, this is generally sort of in healthcare, it's yeah. rest. You must rest. Rest is really important. Well, it, rest is it's important. Wrong. But what, what you've got to try and do is balance that against a, a profound deconditioning. So yeah. if you become completely inactive, what then starts to happen, it becomes counterproductive. So what, what we know about, so if we think about chemotherapy, for example, but actually most therapies, whether it's hormonal or radiotherapy, are, are relatively toxic. So, so we have this toxicity. Uh, and one of those impacts is this articulates beautifully is that actually muscle mass is significantly affected we get this process called kikexia so we get a significant reduction in muscle mass and of course with that we get a reduction in strength a reduction in power activities of daily living become much more difficult now firstly what you have to think about is that what if if we can at least reduce that reduction so by being inactive what we do is we exacerbate the problem. So effectively yeah. with the toxicity of the chemotherapy, we add on inactivity and now we've got this double whammy. So what we're not talking about is you know becoming Arnold Schwarzenegger, but what we are trying to do is offset that toxicity so that at least what we can do is maintain muscle mass or reduce the rate of, of loss of that muscle mass. And the same is true for cardiac toxicity, that we're trying to offset that. Some beautiful studies uh, from a, a good friend of mine, Mark Haykowski in Canada, showing yeah. the reversal of cardiac toxic toxicity just simply with exercise intervention. So what, what we're trying to do is, is, to some extent, we're trying to treat the treatment, if yes. you look at it in, in, in that way, is that, that we're being treated for cancer. But what we, what, what we don't want to do is move to a position where what we call comorbidities, other diseases, become as problematic, if not more problematic. So things like obesity, for example, uh, type two diabetes, metabolic disease, all of those things which we know are related to inactivity. Yeah. It, it, the big problem is that we're being treated for cancer, we're getting better from cancer, but what we're now doing is we're causing other diseases, yeah. which then will have a profound effect on life. Right. So really- so they, used to say, they used to say chemo aged you biologically by 10 years, but by doing exercise and staying active, you can reverse that. So you come out of it as, healthy as you were when you went in okay so really it, it seems what you're saying is uh, exercise and keeping active during treatment helps with the side effects of some of these you know pretty strong drugs that you uh, you know you, you you have to take all right yeah. okay it's, it's more it's more dealing with the side effects rather than 
actually doing something uh, that stops the cancer uh, spreading. But it, but it does both. So oh. we know that exercise independently reduces the risk of cancer occurrence by up to 50% for breast, colon, lung, prostate. As well as that, it also improves the side effects. And we still okay. don't know exactly how it happens because you kind of get a load of people and some exercise and some don't. Everyone wants to know, but is it mitochondria or is it this? So it doesn't matter. We know it works. You need to do it. That's <laughs> the hard part, Greg, isn't it? Why does exercise yeah. work? I don't know, but it does. Please yeah. do it. <laughs> I mean, and, and I, think, I think what's interesting is that what you know, to some extent, if you compartmentalize it, what we're talking about, the, the prevention of cancer. Exercise yes. is intimately involved in the prevention of cancer. Add on top of that, if you have cancer, it is incredibly valuable uh, in during the treatment uh, of cancer. Um, add on top of that, post-cancer in terms of cancer survivorship, um, which includes recurrence of cancer. We know that there are very positive impact of exercise during that process. So, mm. you know, this is not just, just one point along this pathway of cancer. It's actually at every point along the pathway where increasing physical activity being active can have a positive impact okay so i was hoping to ask you this question which liz you've just said no one knows but uh, well, you know, greg might but i greg might okay yeah so, so actually do, doing doing exercise or keeping up your daily routine when you're going through treatment you know how can that possibly stop uh, or slow down cancer spreading you know it's, it's caused by bad cancer cells multiplying, tumours getting bigger or tumours cropping up in other parts of your body. Um, my, uh, I, I tell you a thought I had. So I'm. this is a layman's thought. If blood is pumping around your body because you're doing exercise, is maybe cancer cells more likely to spread about? You're, not, you're shaking your head. Good. <laughs> well, it's, it's an interesting one, Mike, because I would say that when I started in this field, um, and, and we started our first studies uh, looking at this. And, and interestingly enough, one of the first studies that we did was a, a PhD student of mine looked at, uh, at breast cancer sufferers and looked at, at, at what's called contralateral breast cancer. So if you have breast cancer in one breast, um, the likelihood is that, that well, there is a, a, a high It's a higher risk of getting in the other side. In, in the other side. Whereas actually when you intervene with exercise, what you do is you reduce that risk of contralateral breast cancer. Um, I think, and, and you know, and this was some time ago, and since then we've done a whole host of, of different stuff in, in different cancers with different uh, interventions, et cetera. I think it, probably the mechanism is where we, we know least, but certainly it, it's, it's around a whole host of factors. And that is that, that cancer, what we know is that we can accelerate cancer uh, and we can accelerate cancer through environmental factors. So, for example, things like smoking, pollution, we, we know will accelerate it. Uh, add on top of that that there are sort of internal factors which will accelerate it. So things like obesity, for example, in, in particular, things that cause chronic inflammation uh, can accelerate cancer and the growth of cancer. Um, and so I think when we're looking at mechanisms, what, what we look at are those things which can affect things like chronic inflammation or those things which will suppress immune function, um, those things that accelerate growth factors. Um, things like metabolic and sex hormones have, have a key role to play. Now, that's interesting because a lot of these things are, are interrelated. And so, for example, with adiposity, so obesity causes uh, metabolic and sex hormone uh, changes. It changes yeah. growth factors, it impacts on Im immunological function, uh, and, and it causes chronic inflammation. 
So there are some disorders which we know can lead to increased risk of cancer. So obesity is a very good example of that. And we sort of yeah. on about, about obesity. But obesity is really important because of, you know, as well as metabolic disease, cardiovascular disease, cardiopulmonary disease, cancer is intimately linked with obesity. Okay. So and that's actually the, not out there in the public domain as much, is it? I don't think. It's a hard message to get across. Yeah. Without yeah. Spend, and it's not just being overweight. There are lots of things linked to it. And it's really hard to get the message out without obsessing people, um, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Sorry, Greg, I kind of cut you off in mid-flow. No, no, but for sure. So I, I think that but the interesting one is that, you know, counter to that, when we spoke about the early work that we did, I would say the one pushback I got on a continual basis was, oh, if you increase blood flow, if you get the heart rate up and increase blood flow, what that will do is accelerate the growth of, of tumours. Um, and, and in fact, what we know is that tumours are almost entirely anaerobic. They're avascular. Uh, they don't yeah. have a, a vascular system. And, and interestingly enough, so our, our most recent study and, and some studies that we're now currently doing to look at this, why does exercise um, make a difference during treatment, particularly chemotherapy, is that what we know is that, that tumours produce huge amounts of lactate. Um, and it's what's called the Warburg effect. Uh, and one of the things that we're really interested in is actually the role of exercise in countering uh, that 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 huge production of lactate uh, in, in multiple different ways um, and whether that has an impact on the efficacy on the way in which the chemotherapy functions all right so I, I think i think to some extent that there's lots of you know that, that sort of classic pushback if we exercise we increase blood flow and so therefore the tumor grows it is, it is. Uh, fun, almost it, entirely erroneous <laughs> Okay. And so, so it's like most people who are having cancer treatment have surgery pretty quickly. So they don't have cancer anymore. We assume there may be dormant cells in the bloodstream that may wake up and find a friend in years to come. But actually, if you've had surgery, you don't have cancer. The treatments are done to stop it coming back. And exercise improves all of that. Okay. And if, you're, if you think, well, exercise is improving the blood flow to the cancer, these couple of cells, but it's also improving it to your muscles and your bone and your heart. So by not exercising... You're damaging your body, the whole of you. You can't decide to not get blood to the cancer cells. So it's kind of, it's improving you and your general health. So you reduce the risk of those cancer cells coming back in the future. Yeah. People I, I, imagine course, you've got a big. Yeah. yeah. I mean, of course, you know, whilst we don't really understand, fully understand the mechanism, but what we do know is that actually exercise is anti inflammatory. Yes. Uh, so, 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 so actually, what we're doing is we're creating an environment where we're less likely to propagate the growth of cancer. Um, it is anti-obesogenic in a sense yeah. that actually co combined with 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 uh, controlled calorie intake and actually that you know we can talk about we well, let's not talk about diet and nutrition but anyway no. you know combined with all those factors what we do what we are doing is we're creating a better environment uh, which limits or reduces the risk of cancer developing. I get it. I had another man in the street thought as well. If uh, you're taking drugs which are designed to prevent tumour growth or knock out tumour growth, and you're exercising and blood is pumping around your body, maybe you're going to deliver more drug to that tumour. Um, that, that, uh, yeah, a, a, another man in the street thought for which I probably <laughs> should apologise. Uh, I think we're Go talking on, little down, tiny either one of you. I know, I, I think you're talking little tiny cells. So if you're having chemotherapy, you want the cells to be growing really quickly. 
because they kill every cell that grows and the, the tumour grows more quickly. So if exercise may help keep them going so chemo can stop it. But it just the body just doesn't work like that. Everything gets the same amount of blood, the same amount of sugar, the same amount of fat. You can't pinpoint. It's like you can't shift fat off your tummy. You lose fat where it comes off. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. No, that's fine for that. Thank I, you. I think, I think, but I think that, you know, that's the interesting thing about, about chemotherapy, I think, is that it, it is, it's whole system. It's yeah. ubiquitous. It's, every, it's everywhere. It's not, it, it's not target. It affects I mean, all of you. It's some really interesting. Yeah. And there's some really interesting work going on currently with things like hormonal therapy and, and which are, are more targeted. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, we're still a fair way away from this idea. Now, the interesting thing about something like radiotherapy, for example, actually is, you know, very specific and very targeted, but equally still has uh, peripheral yeah. effects. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think, you know, the future of, of cancer therapy to some extent is actually around very specific yes. highly targeted therapies which don't yeah. lead to this change in, in in the whole body let me just ask a question a, a bit more personal actually because liz when, when you were under undergoing treatment mm. you did a triathlon is that right i did yes okay. so what brought that on and did you kind of instantly feel better tell us a bit about your so, experience I I, I swam at school, but I did no sport. As a doctor, I had no time. And I became a cycling widow. And I thought, if I don't cycle, I'll never see my husband. And then I wanted something for me. And I did my first triathlon a couple of months before I was diagnosed. I was cycling at mountains in Italy. And then I thought, no one told me to exercise during treatment. It wasn't a thing. This is 2015. And I wanted to because it gave me, it was me. I didn't have cancer when I was exercising. So I didn't tell my team. I had a port in so I could swim in a pool and I did the local cycling club sprint triathlon very, very, very slowly. And I had to promise them that if I felt sick, that I would stop because they were terrified I'd get along the course. But that feeling of achievement of crossing that finish line, thinking, wow, I have done this halfway through chemo was just amazing. And I could do far more than I ever thought I could. And it, it's mind over matter. It's being sensible. It's thinking, no, I can do this. And I think when it comes to exercise, you've got marathon runners being told to walk for half an hour and actually they can do far more. And it's if you don't exercise yourself, you don't get what it feels like, how hard you can push yourself. And I think we need to change what cancer patients can and can't do. But for me, carrying on exercising through treatment, as well as knowing I had to do it, I was just Liz when I was exercising. Right. So it really worked for you, your, your mind. As yeah. Well. And like with, with the 5K your way and park runs and that community and just doing things with people, it's just incredible. You think, wow, I've achieved something today. Mm. Cancer doesn't need to stop you doing anything. I think what, what, what's, what's, what's interesting in that, you know, to support that is that I think one, one of the most valuable interventions, certainly in my clinic, we work closely with the Lung Oncology Centre and their Living Well program, mm. is that actually using exercise as a, as a target I think, you know, what's interesting, and, you know, Liz can speak to this, but much of, certainly in the treatment of cancer, just about everything you do is negative. Yes. In, in the sense that chemotherapy, it, it makes you, you feel nauseous. It causes myalgia, so muscle pain, uh, sleeplessness. You know, all of these factors, can, critically cancer-related fatigue, and that's an interesting one to talk about with mm. exercise. But, it, but, but, and radiotherapy is the same. And it's basically everything is sort of negative, 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 because of not necessarily it's positive, it's being treated, but, but the 
outcome of that treatment tends to be negative. And, and here we are with something. So one of the things that, that I worked very closely with our guys, we actually moved people to a 5K run to do the race for life. And, and all of a sudden now you're doing something that's almost continually positive yeah. is that you know it, it it's good for you i'm going to keep doing that and i'm trying to reach this target and critical people around you are sort of saying oh my god it's amazing what you're doing even though you're having treatment and that further buffers your your, your mental and emotional well-being yeah. and so i think i think it's the positivity of exercise and which a is sense the real of con value control and everything is being done to yeah. you but you can yeah. exercise this is something you can do to help make yourself better yeah absolutely when when you when you were a surgeon, Liz, and you, yeah. you were faced with uh, patients, obviously, yeah, any sort of surgery is 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 a, a big deal, and you've got to be in reasonable physical shape to kind of deal with it. Would you could you ever say, right, we're going to do surgery, but you've got to get a bit fitter first, or is there sort of no time for that? Time's of the essence. So whatever their their physical state is, they're on the slab as soon as they can be. So breast surgery is a bit different because it's kind of surface surgery. So you don't need to be fit to do it. And most people are done and go home the same day. I never told any of my patients to exercise because I didn't know it was a thing. Sure. And it was only when I was diagnosed myself and thinking, well, I thought I should be told this. And I realized the huge dichotomy between what I didn't know as a surgeon and what I needed as a patient. Oh. It just wasn't on my radar. It never has been. I think for a lot of people now, they're slowly being told to walk, but it's not, you've got to be doing the weights twice a week. You've got to be getting hot and sweaty with the cardio. You've got to push the body. What actually is exercise? And right. I'll put my hands up and say, I didn't know, and I'm sure half of my colleagues don't know about it. And that's a but, challenge for Greg and I to get that awareness up and out there. Yeah, it, it sounds like there's a big job of work to be done to, yeah, you because know, let's face it, medics aren't exactly twiddling their thumbs wanting to go on another no. course. <laughs> so, so I mean, I mean it, 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 and it's it's how you safely prescribe exercise to someone who's going through a treatment when you don't have that knowledge, and how we get those professionals out there. So, it's, it's, I love it when we get to to a point where we where we can talk about something that, that we've just currently done. Actually, we just launched it, and that is what we've developed over the past three years is a new register uh, for what 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 is called clinical exercise physiologist. Uh, it's just moved on to the um, RCCP register. Uh, and we're now working closely with the NHS and government uh, to, to build it in. Effectively, what, 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 we, what we've done over you know, decades now in sport and exercise science is develop people who understand exercise and exercise prescription. Uh, and certainly for me, since the late 90s, I've now moved that into, into clinical exercise physiology. So the prescription of exercise in clinical populations. You know, which is incredibly broad. I mean, what, the, the interesting thing here is that exercise is a, a fantastic prevention treatment tool uh, in all sorts of comorbidities. So from mm. from from neural, so falls prevention in geriatrics, all the way through to cancer and cardiovascular and pulmonary disease, etc. But the, the critical problem is always the fact that actually, you know, almost unfairly, you know, doctors were expected to do this, despite there being zero hours of education on exercise and exercise prescription uh, there used to be that in physiotherapy that is now gone um, yeah. and so therefore the, the question was we should be doing exercise but who does this so uh, we've actually just recently launched it um, and we're certainly working very hard to get these jobs in uh, in the healthcare sector where you have trusted highly qualified 
uh, accredited and monitored people who are prescribing exercise in clinical populations. I think we're, we're sort of st- we're at the threshold where I think we'll yeah. really start to see things change now. Uh, and there's also the can the can rehab trust can rehab yep so, so anna campbell trains anna, yep. physiotherapists and personal trainers to a level four so you can go to a gym and they can say right you've got a colostomy you can't do this exercise but this is how you work so you can look for those as well yeah um so and interesting enough anna, anna's part of the team that we've worked on for this clinical she's incredible. so yeah so, so I, is, I, I went I'm, on a she does a training camp um with a load of Lanzarote, Danish yeah. patients in Lanzarote. And there was this, yeah. I, I went along to watch, there was a 78 year old guy who was mountain biking down the volcano a couple of weeks after surgery. And they say, there's no reason why you can't. Yep. And it's that flipping mindset of age is not a factor, illness is not a factor. You can do anything and you can enjoy it. And it wow, I did that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it, right. It, it sounds like there's um, a lot of progress to be made in changing mindsets and also getting people that can help people do this. You know, this, this, this mm. register that you mentioned, Greg, sounds like a very important thing and um, will hopefully grow and get uh, get more recognised. I mean, I mean, it will. You know, to, to some extent, in, in some areas, it's been there for a very long time. So you think about cardiac rehabilitation. If, if, you, yeah. you, know, if, you, know, if you know anybody who's had a, a cardiac event, an MI, etc., the cardiac rehab has been around for, for decades. Um, uh, equally with pulmonary rehab. Um, interesting enough, I worked during uh, COVID, I worked with the Intensive Care Society on developing the framework for rehabilitation from intensive care post-COVID. Um, so I think th- there is there is a growing understanding of the importance of, of physical activity in, in what we call rehabilitation, yes. What we're now moving towards is the idea of prehabilitation. So our, our latest work uh, in cancer uh, with esophageal cancer patients, we, we ran a big study at, at Thomas. Uh, what we were looking at there was prehabilitation. So in other words, getting people yeah. ready for intervention. So ready for chemotherapy, ready for surgery. And, Those and two the results weeks can make a massive difference, can't they, Greg? Incredible. I mean, just incredible. The results, we've, we've published the first paper of that. Uh, just recently and, and the results it's one of those it's sort of a pinch me moment in terms yeah. of in terms of what we find from that the profoundly positive impact that you can have with such a simple cheap intervention uh, is is truly remarkable you know what, what it, it just makes things work better the chemo works better people yeah. people recover from the surgery much quicker they're in hospital for less time in it from you know from quality of life through to health economics money saving you know right. exercise can have such a profound impact and just two or three weeks of it yeah. okay so after diagnosis two or three weeks of exercise and then the treatment starts is that and yeah. that fantastic okay the right, minute you're diagnosed you should keep going and why don't we have like recumbent bikes in clinic waiting rooms you spend so much time sat on your bum in, in a cancer clinic waiting to be seen because we get 10 minutes we need an hour to see patients why aren't there bikes people can sit recumbent bikes you know start it there do you 10 a, minutes raise money for charity you know really really simple what a, what a great idea i like i like that idea um and actually people who were sat on a spin bike during treatment of pancreatic cancer had a much better experience because you spend three hours sat in a chair but actually there's no reason why you couldn't be spinning your legs no all right it seems like when i'm talking to people i, I do kind of specialize in asking impossible questions so i don't see why you guys should be <laughs> does does this idea of exercise 
Is there any evidence that it seems to work better with some cancers rather than others? Uh, the simple answer to that one, Mike, I, I think, you know, Liz probably answers right at the very start is, is I think that, I mean, with most of the research is in the big cancers. Um, e equally, actually, there, there's not a huge amount of work in some of the big cancers like prostate cancer, um, but but it, things like colon cancer and breast, etc. cetera, uh, for multiple reasons. One is that actually you've got a, a much bigger cohort with which you can you can run research projects uh, in in what we call power, so you can power the studies large enough for them mm. to be uh, uh, significant. Um, I think the other thing actually is about money is that is that that research money follows the, the big the big, the big issues. Yeah, uh, and and so to some extent, you know, it is most most of our sort of sort of the strongest evidence lies around the big cancers, things like colon uh, and breast. Um, but but that said, I think sort of intuitively, I, I don't see there is any reason why it wouldn't run across cancers. No. Now, I think what I have to remember is there are different types of cancers, so blood cancer versus solid-based tumour cancers, et cetera, that, that uh, you know, may operate in a slightly different way and exercise may have a different impact on that. But when we're talking about type of cancer, as it were, um, I, I think we can be fairly... I fairly fairly safe in, in suggesting that it will operate across all yeah okay. I agree all right and well you 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 touched on it then as, as far as availability of uh, of money and different types of cancer but uh, you're obviously working in research at the moment but where is research happening now is and is you know is it happening is enough happening Everywhere is the answer. I mean, it's uh, it's probably the one hot topic. Um, yeah. But you know, having said that, it's incredibly complex um, because because there are multiple cancers um, because of what we are because we don't when you're trying to identify the mechanism. What that means you have to look at all the mechanisms yeah. and then titr titrate it down until you can pinpoint the certain mechanisms. So therefore, what that means I is it, it, that that big studies that cost an awful lot of money. And it's how you get people to ch only change the exercise part of their lifestyle. Because if people are changing their diet and this, then how do you prove it's just the exercise? So it, it's really, really hard for people to form habits for the length of the study. And, and, and what an interesting one. So, that, so our most recent study, we, you, you, you have what's called case control. So you have a control arm. So in this study, what you've got is you've got a group of patients that you intervene with so for yeah. us we exercise them and then we've got a group of patients that we don't exercise now the problem with that is that that we're here talking about the importance of exercise during cancer you've only got to have somebody in that arm of no exercise who listens to, to a podcast like this and thinks well in that case i'm going to start doing some exercise yeah because <laughs> they've it said it can really have my risk of recurrence and i don't want Precisely. to die so it's yeah, yeah. so, so well, what, you know, the best the best people well. get I mean, you know, yeah. that, that, that throws up kind of ethical questions as well. Um, yeah. And, you know, wrestling with that, that that's going to be extremely difficult, really. But in a way, it, it's good that we now think it's not safe to tell people not to exercise. So the message mm. is coming through. Yeah. So I'll take that as a positive, although it doesn't make yeah. Greg's life any easier. But it is a very interesting point is that, you know, I mean, uh, but that said, I mean, you know, we've spoken incredibly positive about exercise. Uh, on this yeah. podcast i think you know, it, we should always caveat that with the fact that actually there are a relative in, in comparison to other areas of, of medicine and science 
there are a relatively small number of, of studies in this area. There's an awful lot of work still to be done yeah. to, re- to really provide the evidence that we need. Okay. I'd like to finish on um, a, a question for, for both of you, really. What advice would you give if someone has, you know, just recently been diagnosed or a member of their family, a loved one has been diagnosed with cancer and they've been listening to this and think, my goodness, this is interesting. Uh, we, we need to get on board. What advice would you give? Where can they go for a bit of simple information to do the, you know, the, the right sort of exercise at the right sort of time? So the current guidelines state that you should do 30 minutes of aerobic exercise three times a week. And that means getting sweaty and a bit out of breath and a bit uncomfortable. And two half an hour resistance training sessions a week. So gym, bodyweight exercises. And it's hard to know what to do. Aerobic is anything that you like that gets your heart rate up. But there are two books I'd like to recommend that are brilliant, written by two experts in the field. So one is a book called Moving Through Cancer. Um, by Professor Katie Schmitz, who's one of the the world leaders on exercise oncology. And she talks about what to do with water bottles, um, resistance bands at home. You don't need to be in a gym. She has science behind it. There's another book written by Carolyn Garrett called Getting Your Oomph Back Through Cancer, who again has case studies, people in a wheelchair, showing you what cardio you can do in a wheelchair, how to exercise at home with resistance bands. They've done the research. They are two great places to start. Okay, that's that size. That excellent advice. Anything to add, Greg? You're nodding your head there. So what, what, that, absolutely. And I think you know there is a plethora of information. I, I think you know, as as with all these things, much like you know we were speaking earlier on about, I've just written a book on exercise and pregnancy, is that it's it's quite an individual journey. Um, and, and I and I think that that what's really important is that you always interface with your healthcare professional, yes. healthcare providers to ensure that, that, that and as Liz has already said some really know an awful lot about it and actually can be really supportive others but certainly what you will find is, is a, a community that will try and answer the question for you and provide the answers yeah. for you and add on top of that that they also know what you're doing and I think that's really important that what they can do is they can provide because it, it's it, it's really very common that, that that cancer is not the only comorbidity it's not the only yeah. disease that, that that cancer sufferers have and so what, what you're trying to do is, is juggle this quite, you know, quite difficult balance between other diseases at the same time as, as trying yeah. to treat cancer. Um, but I think it, to some I would definitely say the future looks bright as we move forward. The, the new clinical exercise physiology register, I think the new understanding of the importance definitely. of exercise in cancer. I think as, as time goes on, I think we'll get much, much better at providing the right information uh, for people so they can individualize their approach okay i see one final thing sorry for, for people who are fit who are athletes who are used to training hard who are listening it's very easy to think i'm going to carry on doing what i used to do and you need to realize during chemo the point is to kill the cancer not for you to maintain your personal bests so dial it back a bit you may need two or three days to recover from a long session this is kind of just base training of staying fit not trying to train harder because I got into that and you think I'm not fast enough. I should do more. And then it just takes me a week to recover. So you do need to listen to your body. All right. That, that sounds like excellent there's advice. A, uh, just a, to... There's a little mantra, a little mantra I use with, with pregnancy as well. Yeah. And that is maintenance, not improvement. Yeah, that's it. And I'm I think if, that. If, if, if you keep, if you keep that idea, that, then you're probably doing the right work. All right. That sounds like a great place to finish on. It also uh, has kind of left the door open for, 
you know some more chats in the future because you know this 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 field is advancing and also greg you you mentioned um pregnancy and and movement and a, and a book you've just finished quick plug of that where can people get that <laughs> just 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 before well, we finish it'd be you know churlish of me not to let you mention that well so you can get it from all good bookshops so if you're a bookshop and you haven't got it, you're not good. <laughs> right. Uh, um, no, it's called it's it's called it's called bump it up. Um, and, and really, what it does, it does exactly what we've been speaking about here with cancer. It, it's evidence based. Um, it, it really is providing you know providing the answer to some of those dogmas that that we have that you know across exercise in various different diseases, and it provides some guidance about what you should be doing, how you should be doing it, and and. and Interestingly enough, with pregnancy, much like it is with cancer, it's actually about pre-pregnancy, during pregnancy, and, and postnatal. Um, it's okay. it's the entire journey, which I think is important. We're not talking about just you know just a very short snapshot of, of the process. All right, I'm going to cut you off there. It sounds like it might be a, a topic for a, another show, but for this show, uh, Liz and Greg, thank you very much indeed. I think that's going to be interesting and hopefully very helpful to an awful lot of people. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, absolute pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having us on. And it's been great to chat, Liz. This show is cool. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at Alka-Cells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. Alka-Cells, part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. Alka-Cells, life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. The station that makes you feel good. Big thank you to my guests on this week's show, and they were Liz O'Reardon, breast surgeon who got breast cancer herself, Professor Greg White, a Olympian and now academic, and thank you to you for listening, and of course a special thanks to the show sponsor, Alga Cells, who bring regenerative orthopaedic medicine to the UK. See their website, algacells.com. If you or a loved one are in pain, do have a look. Thank you. That was the Relaxed Back UK show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening and please do join us again next time.